he turned my attention to that place and said, those are the women I want you to go to. And I'm sending you there to share two things, my hope and my love. It was not an audible voice. It was a turning and a prompting, but I had two years of crying out to God please give me a purpose. You know, please, I'm here. I'm I'm ready. But many things along those years before that day, I had tried and felt everything I tried. I felt in my spirit, this is not what I've created you for. Though those things are good, they're not God's purpose. So uh, seeking, I think, is one thing that is really important when we want to find out what God's calling is on our life. And I think also, It could be the most common thing that you and I pass every single day. You're about to finally accomplish something you've been waiting for and working toward, but then you get sideswiped again. Maybe your life feels like a perpetual Groundhog's Day with the sink full of dirty dishes and the unending pile of bills. Perhaps It seems like no one can tell you've done anything when it feels like all you've done is everything. This is a podcast for the defeated dreamer, the discouraged achiever, and the exhausted perfectionist in all of us. Imagine having a simple plan, a strategy to use in those moments when you feel like you can never accomplish what's important to you when the things you are doing don't make much of a difference, and when you're wondering, do I even matter? I'm Sherry Fletcher, and I have so been there, but what I've come to understand is that God has a plan for your life, and the enemy has a plot against that plan. This is why you need a spiritual strategy. I'm glad you're here. And we're on the same team. So let's work on a spiritual game plan together. Hi, I'm Sherry Fletcher, and this is the Your Spiritual Game Plan podcast. The podcast that helps you understand that God has a plan and the enemy has a plot. And together, we can have a spiritual game plan to live out God's calling in our life. As you know, this month of January, we are going to be talking about God's spiritual game plan for our redemption. January is a month that we will pay attention to an industry that does not get discussed much in the Christian world, unfortunately. We are going to be having some sensitive conversations, so I wanted to just let you know if you have anyone in the car that you don't want to listen to some of the topics. These are adult-themed conversations about the industry in which God has called um, my guests to speak into. So I just wanted to give you a heads up um, so that you could maybe pause it and come back and listen to it another time if that is the case. But today I'm talking with Rachel Starr, the author of Outrageous Obedience, Answering God's Call to Shine in the Darkest Places. When she was only 21 years old, Rachel started going into strip clubs to share Christ's love with the dancers. Now, having founded a Christian ministry to help people in the adult entertainment industry, she demonstrates the key to shining Christ's light into the darkness and to love people one at a time 
and continue to love them no matter what. Loving others like Jesus has to be more than just a social media share or likes. We need to meet people in their pain, growing in our empathy and love for those God has placed in our lives. Maybe you're afraid or unsure where to start, but today Rachel will share how you can light a fire in your soul to step out into a greater way and become fearlessly and outrageously obedient to the Lord. I know that you are going to be inspired by Rachel's true stories and biblical encouragement. You're going to discover the courage to say yes to God and to have outrageous obedience. And then you can witness the fruit and the blessings of your obedience. I am so excited to introduce you guys to Rochelle Starr today. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me, Sherry. So this is an important topic that we're going to be discussing today, um, and we're going to be sharing your ministry and your book, but I would love if you would give a, a short introduction of yourself to our listener, and what are you currently working on right now? Yeah, uh, my name, like you mentioned, is Rochelle Starr. I'm the founder um, of Scarlet Hope, headquartered here in Louisville, Kentucky, and our ministry is to share the hope and love of Jesus with women that are in the adult entertainment industry. And I am a mom to two boys, a nine-year-old, a 20-month-old, and I've married for 17 and a half years to my high school sweetheart, and I currently live in Louisville, Kentucky. It's beautiful. I got to visit um, because I'm just new to Tennessee, so I've been exploring. So I went out there and looked around. Okay. What part of Tennessee? Um, I live right above Chattanooga. Okay. All right. Beautiful. Yeah, it's a, it is beautiful here. So I have a question that I ask all my guests, okay. um, and that is looking back in your life, how far back can you see the very purpose that you're living out today and who you have always been? Well, you know, like when you get to you know, 39 years old and you've been doing ministry that God's purposed you for for 15 years, you can look back on your whole life and say, oh, that's why I went through that, or that's why... God had me in that situation or whatever. But when I heard you, this was a question you commonly asked. I immediately thought when I was 21 um, was when God started stirring in my heart to what was Rochelle Starr made to do. And at that exact moment, I can look back and go, I was in a marketing company that I had no business being in because that's not what I went to school for. And I was learning everything from finances to branding, to marketing, to um, business, to how to run, like be an entrepreneur. And I had no idea that all of that would be needed for the kingdom work that God was going to call me to when I was 23. Um, And so even though I can look back on my whole life and and point to very specific examples, like my dad would bring home homeless people to eat a dinner with my family. We would pick people up on the side of the road to take them to church. All of these things are what ultimately led God to stir in my heart to, to really ask him for the calling on my life and the purpose of my life. And I can see how everything that I've been through for 39 years was um, led me to where I'm at today. So yeah, 
That's it's awesome. A good question. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that question because I love the stories that, that I get to hear and learn and just see God's fingerprints so clearly in everyone's life and know it just confirms that, you know, mm-hmm. we've got this purpose in life and it has nothing to do with um us finding it. It's who God made us to be. So Yes. Um, so we're talking this month, um, it is sex trafficking month, and we're talking about redemption. And I think one of the things that I've learned from working with women is uh, it doesn't matter whether you're a woman on the street or a woman in a faith-based home. I think we struggle with our relevance. And so one of the things that I like to ask women to really pay attention so they understand their relevance is, is there anything you've been thanked for that you didn't realize that you did well or were even valued for? That's a very interesting question and and a good one that I've thought about. Um, You know, I think in ministry or in having started a ministry and founded a ministry like this, I'm thanked often for starting something like this, but it often goes like, I'm so glad you did that because I couldn't. Um, And I think one of the things that has stunned me over the years is just when people say, you have a gift to bring the truth to people's life when it matters the most. And that's something that I didn't put in my, you know, I didn't do the Holy Spirit did in me and the Holy Spirit does in the moments that the Lord allows me to use that gift. So I've been thanked for that. I just was thanked for that yesterday and I stopped and I said, thank you, God, for giving me that specific gift Um, because it doesn't really come from within me, you know, in my flesh, but it comes from him. So. I love that. I love that you stopped and recognized because it was also God thanking you for being mm-hmm. a vessel. And I think when we stop to realize some of the things that we get thanked for and think about it, it's, you know, God's way of saying, hey, you know, you're valuable. So I love that hearing that too. So we're excited um, today to talk about a couple of the common passions that you and I have. Um, before we went on the air, uh, we d- I was discussing with you that we're both dental hygienists. So that's kind of bizarre. <laughs> And, you know, dental hygiene was a great role that I served in for a while, but um, I was ultimately, I have always been called into mentorship. That mentorship that I have done for decades actually turned into a program um, called The Spiritual Game Plan. And then in 2020, when everything shut down, it turned into a podcast (laughs) called Your Spiritual Game Plan. So um, I love mentorship and I love having people talk about spiritual strategies. And that's what you do with your ministry. We're talking about Scarlet Hope and your newly released book, The Outrageous Obedience, Answering God's Call to Shine in the Darkest Places. So um, like you mentioned, when you were a young girl, younger than you are now, God put this passion in your heart. But I'd love if you'd share how you can see back to longing to be a lawyer. (laughs) Um, And then you mentioned a little bit of the marketing degree. And how did God call you or put this calling of justice in you in this outrageous way? And what does radical and biblical obedience look like? Yeah. um, So I grew up as a pastor's kid and that can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. Although my dad was very uh, different uh, than many pastors. He, he always pastored people and his churches were always filled with the broken and the poor and, um, you know, just the the people that Jesus came for, right? And he came for all of us, I know, but um, that's what our churches were made up of. And so 
I, from a very little girl, wanted to fight for people that did not maybe have a voice. I don't know if I would have said that as a kid, but I always wanted to stand up for the person that was picked on, that was feeling less than anybody in the lunchroom that was sitting by themselves. I was always the one to go sit right by them. I I never wanted anyone to be left out. And so that justice, um, again, all of these things come from God, right? But um, I just followed that and all the way into my adult years I'm you know getting into hygiene I was getting into marketing I was doing all of these types of different types of jobs but in my spirit I was like this is not what I'm created to do what am I on this earth to do and in my story in the book I share a, a little bit about my history with um, a disease that nearly killed me. And um, I think because of that, God miraculously healed me when I was nine. He set something very different in me that was like, you you don't know how many days you have here. So every day, make it count. And how are you going to spend your life? And so that was just a very common theme in my very young years, I mean, 18, 19, 20. And then in, when I turned 21, I was got married. And I said to my husband, I'm doing all these amazing things. I'm getting promotions at work. I, I want to go to law school. I want to do all these things. But I have this feeling that God is asking me to seek him to figure out what it is and who he's calling me to purpose my life for, to spend my life on. And um, and so that's just really like how the Lord prompted me to start praying from 21 to 23, fasting and praying, God give me a people. And, you know, this would be like God, right? To use his word like Esther in Esther to give me a people. And and that that was my prayer. And I studied Esther for those two years very intently and started just saying, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just I want a people that you're calling me to. Mm-hmm. And that's how it all started. Yeah. And you know, unless someone listening when they hear the word you know, radical obedience, outrageous obedience, um, it's always we got to pay attention to God's small voice mm-hmm. and listen to the small voice. And you'll hear it more profoundly as you follow that obedience. But I always wonder when we ask God, like you did, show me where you want me to go. We're expecting some big burning bush or something big and booming when it's just the small ache in our heart mm-hmm. or the small passion like you had for justice. Mm-hmm. And he's just asking us to dig into that like you did. I love hearing about that. Um, and so the Bible verse that's actually at the heart of my ministry is Ephesians 2.10 that says, God tells us we're a masterpiece, that he created us specifically for the good works that he has already planned, he's already designed us for. And God clearly set you apart for a work that has saved so many of his daughters. And I just think that is so wonderful. But even though God created us to do this work, he doesn't push his work on us. And it takes this intentional plan 
on our part to open our hearts, be obedient and invite him in. And your book shares how God called you, but you still had to ask him for that direction. Mm -hmm. How clear was God's plan for you um, as you started serving and, and how did he call you to serve the women that you do? Yeah, this is one of my favorite questions because people ask me, how did you hear God? What was that like? And what I have come to be able to verbalize now on this side, right, um, 15 years later, is I first was seeking. Obviously, the prompting from the Holy Spirit was to seek God. And all along the way, I have funny stories about I would pick up homeless women that I would see. I would try to take them to dinner or to, re, you know, I would help them. And I had all these crazy things happen. And in those very moments, even those things that were good, they weren't what God was asking me to do. But He was using those moments to actually clarify what He was getting ready to call me to. Um, and so, Here's what's so cool about, I guess, the voice of God, if you will, and and He speaks to everyone in so many different ways. But I had passed, when God called me to minister to women in the sex industry, I had passed the building He used to call me to that hundreds of times. And I had never turned my attention to that place until May of 2007, and I was music off of my car, driving into work, 15, 20 minute drive in. And I passed that, the, this theater X and I heard God's prompting. Okay. I guess the word heard is maybe the wrong. He turned my attention to that place and said, those are the women I want you to go to. And I'm sending you there to share two things, my hope and my love. Those were, I mean, Sherry, I can't even, again, it was not an audible voice. It was a, it was a turning and a prompting, but I had two years of crying out to God, please give me a purpose. You know, please, I'm here. I'm, I'm ready. Um, but many things along those years before that day, I had tried and felt everything I tried, I felt in my spirit this isn't what I'm, I'm, I've, this is not what I've created you for though. Those things are good. They're not mm -hmm. God's purpose. So uh, seeking, I think is one thing that is really important when we want to, um, find out what God's calling is on our life. And I think also it could be the most common thing that you and I pass every single day, but until our hearts are willing and open to listen and God knows that we're going to respond in obedience, I, I believe. Um, you know, I think just keep seeking Him until that that moment happens for people. So um, that's how God called me into it. And then I'll say this too. I did not have any idea what the sex industry was. I grew up in very, very small towns. Strip clubs did not exist. Prostitutes did, but I honestly didn't know about that. And so I didn't know about the world sex trafficking. Sex trafficking wasn't even actually a thing in 2007 that people talked about. So there was no, it was God and God alone that did that. Now he did not give me all of the pieces of the puzzle. 
And that's the thing that I also love about how God calls is he will, when he calls you, he will give you one piece at a time. Because if I knew what I know now, I honestly don't know if I would have done it. Mm. But what he said at first is, I'm going to show you the, I've shown you where they're at and I'm going to equip you along the way, but I want you to pray. And so for a year and a half, 18 months after God called me, we would pray, my best friend and I would pray outside of strip clubs in Louisville, Kentucky and Southern Indiana. We would pray and we would fast and we would ask God open doors And he did not open the door for us to start serving women in the industry until August of 2008. That's nearly 18 months later. And so um, it's just in his timing when we have willing hearts. uh, And, you know, I even go back to that share and go, in and of myself, I wasn't willing, right? But God did that work within me. Yeah, that's scary. It's a scary thought of going in. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I grew up in a home of faith and um, we were always made aware of, and I'm using quotation marks, those kind of people, you know, as Christians, we aren't supposed to be like them. So there was always this clear line there. There was us and then there was them and we're not supposed to be of this world. But unfortunately, that kind of description of what it means to follow Christ is actually the complete opposite. I mean, if Jesus were here today, he would be in that strip club with Rahab, Tamar, Mary Magdalene, the Gomers, you know. What has been your insider knowledge of those beautiful daughters in the club? What is their view of Christians and the message that our church sends them? Yeah. Um, when I first started going in to strip clubs in 2008, um, the Lord gave us a very, very clear open door. And that, though, was met with two things. One, Christians were, many of my friends were disowning me. Many people within the church, my husband was on staff at a church during this time uh, that I started the ministry, and many people within the church would say, you're going to become like them. You don't need to go to them. There is a sign outside of our building. If they want to come, they can. And you know, it didn't matter what any of those people said. I knew that God had said to go. And that was all I knew. And so I was going to show up and I was going to be faithful. And what I learned along the way, the people in the industry would say things like, Christians have never done this. Are you a real, are you a real Christian? Um, they would say things like, uh, did you poison our food because you are bringing judgment on us? You know, all these various things. But over and over and over again, I began to understand the pain and the hurt and the um, darkness that surrounded the body of Christ and the, the women that are his daughters that were in those places. That women would say to me, I cannot go into a church building because it will cave in. Um, you know... Those kinds of people, well, 
there you, that's you and me. Um, you know, at the end of the day, at the foot of the cross, we're all the same. And so uh, I also became very convicted in the beginning as well that uh, in order for people who were in utter darkness, that were blind, that are walking corpses, as the Bible says, uh, I was just like that before I came to Christ. And when you can have empathy for that as a baseline, okay, let alone what they've been through and and the things they've experienced. But when you can understand that you were once blind and in darkness, and it was because of God's grace, you've seen that you saw the light and that you are now in Christ. When you go into the darkness like that, the people in the industry crave the light. Mm-hmm. And not everyone, it's not a hundred percent, um, you know, that everyone's like, I want what you have, you know, that <laughs> they're not saying that, but they crave the light. And that speaks volumes to me, especially in light of the pain and suffering that many exploited, uh, exploited and trafficked women and men and people go through. Mm. Yeah. I love that at the foot of the cross where, we're all the same. We're just like them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, you have started, like you said, running Scarlet's Hope. Uh, 16 years now, is it? 16? 15, yes. 15. Okay. Um, and I know we could spend hours sharing stories, but I would love it if you would share your story of Mary. And I mean, what a significant name, if if that's the real name. But, but I love that it, you had a story about Mary. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is that is her beautiful real name. Um I'll try to short the story up for the sake of time, but it is one of the most impactful stories that we have in our ministry. I met Mary in a strip club and my team and I got to know her. She was actually 49 years old when we met her. And we had only been serving in the strip clubs for about six months when we met her. And so everything was still very new and real and we were still learning but when I met a 49-year-old woman, I was very perplexed at how the age, I guess, gap or of what the people expected women to be like and then who Mary was, was very different. So I got to know Mary very well. And one evening, um, I asked Mary if I could, uh, she was not feeling well, so I asked her if I could take her home at the end of her shift, which was like about two o'clock in the morning. And so she agreed because she normally walked to uh, to her house. So I took her home, and when I pulled up to the house, um, I asked her if I could carry in her bags for her because I had noticed over the months of getting to know her, I had noticed that her spine was very crooked, and she had had lots of surgeries on it. And so I asked her if I could carry in her bags, to which she said no. She finally let me, and I carried them not into the house, but alongside the house to the backyard to a shack. And um, I will never forget this moment in my life because, I mean, this happened, you know, 14 years ago and I can still get so emotional about it. I saw a blue tarp as her roof and a plywood for her bed. This was just a few miles from even where I'm doing this podcast right now. And I couldn't believe that this 49-year-old woman that worked at a strip club lived in this shack. 
So my natural inclination was, I've got to get Mary out of the shack. And this became my (laughs) mission. (laughs) So I quickly went back. Um, We raised some money to get her an apartment. Um, But unfortunately, God wasn't really done with Mary in the shack. And she tells that uh, in her story is, is she did go to the apartment that we got her. But about two weeks later, she went back to the shack. And and she would say, God wasn't done with me in the shack. And even though I didn't understand what God was doing, he was wooing her to himself in a way that I couldn't understand. So fast forward, uh, it is, she goes back into the clubs. She had come out for a couple of months and it was her 50th birthday. And I had learned that it was going to be her birthday. So we brought a birthday cake. And in the strip club, we had a birthday party for Mary on her 50th birthday. And I love what she says. I looked at her on her 50th birthday in the club. And she looked at me and she said she was crying. She said she had never had a birthday cake with candles. And I said, Mary, you have a choice. You don't have to be here anymore. She blew the candles out gave her life to Christ and left the industry. And that was over 10 years ago. And she's never been back. She ended up sharing so much of her story through counseling and therapy that we realized, uh, and it took a while to realize this, she had been trafficked when she was 14. But trafficking wasn't a term then. Her parents sold her to an older man and she was whisked off around the country to states she didn't even know existed and sold for sex for over a decade. When she got back to Louisville, she was so abused and used, and she did not know how to read or write well. So she went into the strip clubs, and that's what started that life for her. And until her 50th birthday and the birthday cake and the, the sentence, you have a choice. She did not know she had a choice to leave that life and that there was a choice awaiting her in Christ. And mm. it it is one of the most powerful stories that, that I've ever come across. And she has become like family. She is, you know, a part of our ministry still to this day. And the Lord has used Mary now to reach other women for his kingdom. And that's ultimately what Scarlet Hope is really all about. Mm. And yes, that story, just when I first heard that, I just, yeah, I was shaken. It was so beautiful. I just love hearing that redemption through that story and how God, you know, wasn't done with her. And she's kind of got the story of Gomer as well, Mm. of this going back into it, but God pursuing her. So um, how has God grown your ministry into other areas of the sex traffic world and how do you serve there? Yeah. So our ministry has grown really uh, a lot. We've now put eight uh, ministry locations around the country and we've been able to have the privilege of training up 400 groups to carry out the gospel into the sex industry. Um, in the world of sex trafficking and exploitation, as I say, we, we focus on all women that are exploited. So whether they are a stripper or a prostitute or they are sex trafficked, because there is differences in all of that, the Lord continues to open our um, paths and our doors to be able to reach all of those women. 
And, you know, one thing that's unique to our ministry now is in 2018, we were just praying for a way to be able to reach women online. When I started this ministry, the iPhone didn't even exist, really. I mean, it came out in 2008, but I, you know, God called me in 07. And so we have just seen an exponential rise in sex trafficking victims and women that are exploited online. But how do you reach those people? And so one of the really amazing ways that we do that is through a technology where we actually reach thousands of women online through text messaging. And we're able to reach and share the gospel and provide services and help women that are trafficked get back to safety or into long-term care. It's been really amazing. So um, the Lord has really advanced our ministry in lots of different ways, but outreach and discipleship and then career development are those things that we are able to offer direct services to women that have been exploited. So the Lord just continues to grow the ministry in ways that I, I honestly can't even, you know, fathom. No, I love that. I love, I love hearing these stories. So um, I'm a wordy girl. I love digging into definitions and root meanings. And redemption, you know, means the action of saving or being saved from sin, error, or evil. But it also means regaining possession of something in exchange for payment. You know, these sweet ladies, they understand that concept, unfortunately, the last one. But how can we switch that and be bold and say, you know, Christ actually paid the same price for them to regain possession of us in exchange for a debt that both even you and I and the listener have? So what hope can we share with um, these daughters, other daughters, you know, planting seeds for the gospel and letting people know that Jesus paid for them and they have this redemption available yeah. So Mary, going back to Mary really quick, one of the, the sayings or the things that Mary constantly says is, God restored what the locust ate and took from me. And she loves that scripture. Um, and I think in this redemptive work that God has called me to, but also so many women um, and, and amazing women that walk alongside serving women in the industry, um, we're able to say to them, God not only paid for your sin and my sin, but he's a, he, he's adopted you and wants to adopt you into his family. That's something that I don't think many people understand about this, uh, this group of people in our world is the family unit, the brokenness within the family, they easily find their family, their new family in the industry. And so when we are able to offer hope of a, of a God that came to save us from the darkest, most evil sin, but more than that, to redeem our lives and to restore what the locusts have eaten, He puts us into a new family where that can take place. And that's one thing that um, why women, hundreds and hundreds of women have come to Scarlet Hope is and come to know the Lord is because of the new family that they can have in Christ. And that that's hopeful. When you don't have anyone to turn to and and you feel dirty and dark and shameful, what better hope could we offer people than the hope of Jesus that He 
redeems all of that. I can't redeem. I say this to the women all the time. I cannot redeem your past or your future or any part of it. But I can tell you who the one, the one that can. And that's the hope of the gospel is, is in his name and his name alone. And to be honest, everywhere we're able to share that message, God is saving and redeeming his daughters. I, I love, yes, amen to that. Um, and you know, one thing I was thinking of while I was listening to you and you're saying, you know, like they're turning to family, they don't know where to turn. Um, we don't know who we're even sitting by. Uh, in a plane or in any, you know, who are we sitting by? We don't know their story. They could be a Mary. They could be lost. And I know, you know, your book, Answering God's Call to Shine in the Dark Places, um, it is your story and how he had you go into the sex trafficking or the strip club world. But we all have the opportunity to shine into dark places. What does that mean then to be planting seeds for the gospel and shining our own light into those dark places? Yeah, the I mean, dark places of our world doesn't have to be strip clubs. I mean, that's what outrageous obedience is about, is that if if in and when we come to Christ, he has created us all for outrageous obedience. And and the purpose that the Lord has called light into dark is if there's no light going to the dark, there people will remain in the dark, right? And so it can mean in foster care. It can mean in, I mean, the foster care system is so broken and there's so much hurt and pain that comes with the foster care system. I, I think about teenagers that I know that could have been taken in by a Christian family and been shown the light of Christ and the love of Christ, but instead they were in a you know a, a group home, and now I've met them in the strip clubs, right? Um, mm. So all along the way, uh, in hurting people and in the dark, there's darkness all around our world, and so it's it's really about you know outrageous obedience is just about being sensitive to the Spirit and who He's called you to be obediently to to outrageously love and and share the hope of Christ with. So like you mentioned, like the person sitting by you on the airplane, what if we were sensitive to the Holy Spirit and just struck up a conversation with that person and it was the conversation that they needed? Um, all sorts of ways, grocery store line, just being so sensitive to listening and being obedient to what God is asking you to do. Um, and that's what the book is all about, but that's what our God's all about. Amen. Yeah. I was in a, I was, when you said that I was thinking about a barbershop I was in <laughs> waiting for my son to get his hair cut. And this young gentleman was sitting next to me waiting for his dad. And we just sparked up a conversation and just talked. And he finally, he just said, wow, I think it was, I think God brought me to this barbershop with my dad to, to just hear what you had to say. Yeah, that's exactly just, right. That's beautiful. Don't ever think about it, you know, in that way. Um, I am so thankful that you joined me and uh, I would love it. We're going to put all the links to everything mentioned, but just a, an easy way for them to find you and learn more about this book. Yeah, you can go to my website, rochellestar.co, or you can visit Instagram, rochellestar.co. Or also scarlethope.org is our website where you can find out a lot of information and also links to Outrageous Obedience. So we would love to, to connect with anybody that is interested. 
And on that website, you have all the different cities that you have active ministries in. So people can go on and see if they're close to one of those and find ways to either be there and support it physically or or with um, donations online, correct? Yes, we have so many ways to volunteer or give or be a part of what God is doing through Scarlet Hope. And we have eight cities for you to do that in. So hopefully um, you all can get connected and serve somewhere if you're interested in this um, and bringing the gospel to women in the sex industry. Oh, thank you so much. I love your story and I appreciate your time sharing it with the audience today. Thank you, Sherry, for your time and for having me on the show. I love that verse that Rachel shared from Joel 2, verse 25. I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. How powerful to hear that insight of the sweet story of Mary. God not only paid the price for us, but he wants to adopt us into his family. I hope you were inspired by my time with Rachel today and you can find ways to connect with Rachel with the links in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I don't want you to miss out on anything. So when you sign up for my email, you will get details on how to start your own spiritual game plan, the latest news on the Bible study I'm working on, and also a glimpse behind the scenes of things that don't make it onto this podcast. So head on over to SherryFletcher.com and click Join Sherry at the top of the screen. And I look forward to connecting with you there.